Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 13 of Recovery Machine. I'm your co-host, Nathan, and I'm joined, as always, by Corey. How's it going over there, Corey? Hey, Nathan. Good afternoon. It's going well. Happy to have our uh, 13th episode, Baker's Dozen. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) It's good, though. I'm still having fun. So I think if uh, if we're having fun, then we'll keep going. Same here. Yeah. So what are we talking about today? Well, the first thing you and I are going to talk about is it's a a question that has come up a lot in, in groups that, that you and I attend together and some groups that I attend personally of how to stay mentally healthy and on the right track in, in our recovery, despite a really stressful time that we're all living in both globally and within our own communities um, and with all of the news and information that we take in on a, on a daily basis, how to do it. So we, we are both aware that it, it, it impacts people in and out of our recovery communities, but we certainly see it a lot um, in meetings that we attend that, that, that it's hard on people right now. Hey, it is definitely tough. And one thing that I'm seeing is people who are maybe already kind of riding the edge as far as how much personal stress they can handle in their life overall or their job. A lot of people, it's a job where they're, they've, they're in recovery and they've maybe uh, found a new way to deal with stress, which is great. But because they're so close to uh, what they can tolerate, the extra burden of the global events that we're witnessing uh, in Eastern Europe and the you know, last two years of uh, just weird event after weird event. Um, I think this is pushing some people into a situation where they're struggling to manage with anything that uh, they're using as a kind of an escape. So if that's drugs and alcohol, then maybe some people who had a, a situation that was that was being managed well are now kind of concerned with say how much they're drinking, or maybe it's food, you know, you're, you're in, uh, somebody who eats, uh, to, to feel better. And now that's, they're being pushed to, they feel they're in a situation where they have to kind of use that calming method almost too much. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I mean, obviously this is a big question and, um, Nobody has the, uh, there's no one answer for everybody, but we have seen over the last few years, uh, techniques put forth and ideas that together, I think if you, I know that when I'm having a tough time, if I pay attention to these things and get into a rhythm with them, it makes a big difference. So we're going to do our best to go over those and pass those along. And hopefully if you're, whether you're early in recovery or not in recovery or, or whoever you are, maybe you'll find something useful in there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I guess from a personal standpoint, we can start there. What, uh, I get, what, what's the impact for you, Corey on, are you feeling this kind of background noise? I know we've talked about it a little bit, but what, how is it affecting you? Well, you know, I, I, uh, early on in recovery and within the first year, especially I, I felt like I was in sort of a, a hypersensitive state where I really had a low tolerance for taking in stressful information beyond the things that I had to take in, take on, um, you know, the, the stress of, of going through recovery and going through a rehab program and all that stuff. But I, I found myself unable to take on information in the news or, you know, that the things that were happening in the world were just too much for me. And the thing that I'm, that I find interesting is that that goes back to when I was a kid, I remember, you know, we would watch the news almost every night, you know, at dinner time, kind of a thing. And I remember having a reaction to it then and feeling like it was just too much, too much negativity. Um, it stressed me out. And then that was before the age of, of social media and before the age of the, the real flood of the internet. 
Um, and it was too much then and then thinking about how things are now. And it's just like tenfold, 20 fold, a hundred fold. Um, and it's still too much, but now as I've, I'm feeling better, I'm more willing to take in more of that information and my sensitivity to that kind of information is changing. And I do notice though, that it's, that I do feel it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel it also. And you're right to say things have changed a lot in our media world, as far as a lot of the uh, mainstream or legacy media outlets are very clickbaity now. They're just sensationalizing everything they can. And unfortunately, the way humans are wired, we tend to react to negative news with more of a emotional uh, pull, I guess. So mm-hmm. they know that and, in, and there's very few objective sources of news left. I mean, they're, they're out there, but it's tough. It's really tough. And the, I've never, I mean, I haven't been alive that long, but I've been long enough to see a few different uh, approaches to providing that type of information. And, and even in academia now, I'm finding that it's, I just can't trust the sources that I thought I could. And this puts me in a awkward position as a professional and as a human being, you know, I, I, the amount of time that an individual is willing to spend hunting down an answer and, and still not knowing whether or not the, how accurate the answer is. And of course, everybody has a, a different level of ability when it comes to data mining. So, I mean, what do you do, right? I think what you're saying is uh, you throttle it. You know, it's it's hard to like you you have one advantage <laughs> in that you're clever enough not to be on Facebook. And Correct. I, yeah, and I have found this. Uh, I've tried to do that, but it's very difficult if you're running any sort of a business. Um. Because the benefits of those connections are, I mean, there's real value there, but at the same time, it's, you don't want to be spending two hours a day scrolling through that horrendous feed because it's, I mean, the whole thing is designed to be reactionary. So I, I do a fairly good job of limiting myself with that, but uh, I think we're both on Twitter, right? Yeah. And Twitter can be bad. I mean, everybody knows. Like, uh, I think we we brought this up before where it's almost like you go into a a trance while you're scrolling through, right? And you're thinking in your head, like, why am I, there's nothing here, man. Like, why you you keep lurking and looking and looking and looking, but there's nothing there. And uh, it's it's like playing a slot machine for that dopamine hit. That's right. And it's, it's never positive. It's never good news. And, and the, apart from a, a story about a, a dog at the end of the, uh, the end of the nightly news, that's never positive. And so when we're, if that's the goal here is to have, you know, mental positive mental health or good mental health and, and positive, constructive, healthy thinking, um, to be, to really tally up the, what the information that we take on is it's, primarily pretty negative stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's something that I have really realized is um, the, the negativity of it all is out of my control. So the only thing I can control then is how much I actually take in. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's tend to the garden that you can touch and outside of that sphere of influence, which is 99% of everything we encounter. I mean, what can we do personally in a lot of these situations? I mean, I can't even, if I pay too much attention to what's going on with, uh, say the, uh, the crisis in our own, in our own backyard with, with people with fentanyl and, uh, you know, the way our drug system is set up, that alone is enough to get me pretty agitated if I just allow myself to, to see what's going on there. Yeah. And, you know, obviously it doesn't take very many type of those types of injustices or what I perceive to be something that's being dealt with in a really foreign, bizarre way that doesn't make sense to me. It, uh, it kind of drives me like you, you get very distracted by it. 
Yeah. And, and going back a, a moment to what you said, that, that there's still a dopamine kick there. And I think that we often purely associate dopamine with pleasure. Or you hear you hear it referred to more in the in the context of a pleasurable experience, a drug experience, a any kind of you know uh, physical touch or a thrill ride or whatever it may be. But it is very much still present within a negative experience. And and looking at um, you know MRIs and CT scans of of what the brain is doing when it's taking on news information or um, violent imagery or, you know, shocking, horrific imagery, there's still a, a flood that's happening in the brain. Yeah. It's, and it's that, so that, strange. Eh? Yeah. And that flood is keeping us there. It's keeping us in it. Cause it's telling us that even though we feel distressed or stressed, it it's, it's giving us that chemical reward there. And so to me, the, the cure to that is to be, to override that if we can. And, and, step back from it or kind of put ourselves back in the driver's seat of it. Yeah, definitely easier said than done, but, uh, yeah, that the dopamine response on what we would perceive to be negative events. I've, uh, you know, you're talking about brain scans and, and watching people's responses. I, I saw one of those for people who play slot machines regularly mm -hmm. and they, re they receive a dopamine kind of flood upon losing, like when they're, when they're finished with all their money, which is completely counterintuitive, intuitive, but it's the evolutionary purpose, I guess, is to keep you engaged in, yeah. in what's going on. Like it's okay. That's a, that's a serious event. You just blew $500 on this machine. You got nothing for it. And for some reason that, that makes a, a human engaged and they want to come back. Yeah. And I mean, it it's even to the point where in like a casino setting, they're playing, you know, when you pull the slot and lose, they're playing the like, wah, wah, <laughs> tune to, to, to give you a, a cue, you know, a Pavlovian cue to, to go again. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. The mind is a fascinating little device. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so yeah, we, we agree. And I think most people would agree that we've, we've been living in some weird times. What, what are some of the things that you have found useful to, I mean, one thing you've done is you've limited the amount of, of uh, social media you're consuming and yeah. you're, you're throttling your, your consumption of news. What other kind of things do you find personally helpful? I think, uh, well, a couple of things come to mind. First one, as an easy little tool to use would be to, to be aware of, of how long you are in, engaging. So say if it's social media, how long am I actually engaging in it? Or if it's a, a news program, how long am I watching that for? So I find that I'm able to keep, keep a check on myself close enough that I don't need to set a timer, but that's an idea that I've heard, you know, that set a timer and then stick to that and say, okay, I'm only going to, be perusing social media for five or 10 minutes. And then when that timer goes off, I'm off. And I mean, it, it's an interesting experiment in that if the timer goes off and you, <laughs> and you tell yourself, oh, I'll just keep going. Mm -hmm. That's, that's tough saying a lot too. That's saying that, that potentially you're, you're in a, a state where you're having trouble overriding that, or you're having trouble stepping away from that, which sounds yeah. a lot like an addictive behavior to me. Yeah, Absolutely. And yeah, just to add to that, I know there's, there's apps available that will monitor the amount of time you're spending on your phone or monitor the amount of time you're spending on specific apps like social media. And I think for a lot of people, it would be beneficial just to, just to get a baseline. Like uh, what's your average consumption? How long are you staring at your phone uh, on average throughout the week? And then yeah. you almost everybody would be shocked to see that number. I can tell you that right now. You For see sure. how many hours you've stared at your phone in a single day. Um, and then once you've established that baseline, like anything else, you can start to chip away at it and try to do better. And I think it's, if you are having an issue with uh, discipline in that regard, then it's like anything else where you break it down into smaller steps and 
you know, try to do a little bit at a time, take on something that's not a drastic, I'm going to throw my phone out the window, but I'm just going to, you know, bring it down to maybe an hour a day type of thing and try to stick with that. Yeah, exactly. The, the other thought that I had about this was, was about checking in with ourselves as we're, as we are engaging in, in watching the news or with social media, say that checking in with, with what our bodies are telling us. And so often these activities create quite a numbing effect or a, a, a zoning out effect where you're not really aware of your, your outside environment or your, you know, your personal space, but also not necessarily aware of what, how your body is responding to that information that you're taking in. And so I think about the, the news right now with, with what's happening in, in Europe. And if you, if I were to sit there and watch it for an hour, no, I don't, I don't let myself do that. But if I, if I did, I know that if I checked in with myself and thought, what am I actually physically feeling right now? It would be that I felt tension, tension in my body. Maybe I would feel hot in my face. Maybe I'd feel a, a sort of an anxious knot in my, in the pit of my stomach. Um, I wouldn't feel at ease and relaxed. No, not at all. No. And naturally, and I, and I've, I mean, I, there, there's no criticism of anyone who, who's feeling that way. But if you think about it, that's kind of our body's way of telling us like, whoa, we're, we're at risk here or we're under stress. And that's yeah. not to say that we don't take in that information at all, but maybe we um, make sure that we afford ourselves some time then to, to de-stress and to, to relax. Yeah. And so I know that meditation was one of the things we had talked about too, right? Yeah. A meditation. Uh, I just wanted to, to add to that, that I find myself kind of going down these paths, uh, looking at, at these weird, uh, horrific news stories as an escape from whatever, like whatever problem I've got going on or whatever task that I should be doing. It's a good, it's a great procrastination tool because it does kind of get you out of whatever you're in. It gets you out of your own mental environment, but it, it's kind of, uh, it's not a great way to, to cope with that because like you said, I mean, I'm the same way I can handle a certain amount. And then I feel there's a, you know, it's a, it's not a good, I, I just feel unhealthy. You know, it's like, yeah. I immediately have to exercise or something to kind of like bring myself back down to an unanxious state. But yeah. Yeah. Meditation is, uh, this is one that, uh, I'm really good at telling everybody to do and extremely poor at practicing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have went through a whole bunch of different methods. I've studied Vipassana and, and all the, uh, you know, Western mindfulness techniques and everything. And it just is, it's, I, I never do it enough. And I know that it's because I'm a very results driven individual. And that is completely contrary to what meditation is about. So even though I, I understand that I'm still unable to make it a part of my, my daily routine. And I, and I know I should, I can see clearly the benefits of it, but I, I just, for whatever reason, uh, fail to commit. And <clears throat> I don't know what to do about that, Corey. It's, it, I, don't, I don't think you're alone there. I know that you're not alone on that one. And I include myself in that too. What I will say that has worked for me more than, um, you know, the, the kind of the archetypal legs crossed, uh, palms, palms up type of meditation that has worked for me is, is, and I've done it specifically after, after watching something, you know, watching a, a movie that has violence or that, you know, that leaves me feeling uneasy at night and I get into bed and then my mind is racing. And first of all, the thing I often notice is that my mind is not racing about that movie, but, but my mind follows this neural pathway where I'm thinking about other dark shit within my own life. Right, or my own right. Past. So it set the tone. It's like, it set the tempo for your mind. It, yeah. It's it, it uh, sort of rolls out the red carpet for those negative thoughts to waltz in. And, uh, and then it just, and then the, the movie or the visual that I saw in the news or whatever it may be just kind of backs off and lets my, lets my mind do the rest. So the easiest 
type of meditation that I have had success with has been visualizing a, a scene, visualizing a place, a happy, you know, a happy place that are in my life. And so for me, that's, that's Hornby Island. That's anywhere near the ocean. And I, I visualize that beach or visualize that spot in as much detail as I can muster up. And what I'm really doing, it doesn't really matter what the place is. I'm, I, I'm make sure it's a positive, you know, a place that carries a lot of good memories, but suddenly I'm in control of my thoughts. And as I'm actively thinking about all of the details of it, those negative thoughts about, about, you know, stressful things aren't able to creep in. Cause I'm just, I'm, I've got the reins and I'm, I'm in control again. And then pretty soon I'm, I'm, I'm relaxed, but I find that <clears throat> especially initially I have to keep pulling myself back over and over and over again to that, to that visual or those negative thoughts. will just kind of keep fighting back. Yeah. What a pain in the ass. Eh? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't it be nice if your mind just kind of uh, on its own stayed in a favorable uh, neural pathway? It, it would, but you know, as they say, those neural pathways that we travel down the most are the easiest to, to come back to, you know, yeah, like but the well-practiced neural pathways. The, why, why are they this way for some people and seemingly not for others, you know? Yeah. That's it's a um, great question. It, uh, it's maddening sometimes, but, but I know that I get a reward from even those negative pathways, like that. I, that gives my brain a little kick. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I understand that a little, not fully, but I think I can see it from a, a self uh, soothing aspect in that those are the most f familiar roads to travel. That's so, right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, and obviously there's a whole bunch of different uh, ways you can meditate, but I think the, the most important aspect of it is consistency. If you yeah. can do five minutes a day, 10 minutes, uh, I think they've shown benefit with almost, uh, I don't know about five or 10 minutes, but I've seen lots of uh, studies on 20 minutes a day and showing all sorts of cognitive benefits from neuroregeneration uh, neuro to lowered heart, uh, heart rate and blood pressure and all sorts of things like that. Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah. And of course we mentioned exercise. This is my, my biggest tool that, that I use to kind of combat that anxiety that I feel throughout the day, negativity, apathy, depression, it, uh, it works for everything. And I think it's, it, for me, it's an easier one to stick with because the reward is, is right there. I mean, if I, yeah. if I do 20 minutes of cardio, I feel better. In, in fact, it's probably 10 minutes. I feel better. So it's, you know, you look at it as far as a deal goes for, for a human, for a, a healthy thing to do. That's a pretty good deal. Right. So can I ask you, what are, do you notice what you're thinking about when you're exercising? Are you thinking about your stress or is your mind just thinking about the task? Uh, well, music is, is huge for me in that I, I reach kind of a state of mind where it's, it's more of a, I don't know. I I'm big on, like I like metal and uh, bands like Lamb of God or anything that's got like massive amounts of kind of angry energy. And for some reason that just in a weird way, it, it calms me, but it also provides me with this uh, type of energy that I think, especially for, for men, we don't have an outlet really for, for that type of, you know, it's a violent kind of energy. Like you want to hurt something or, or break something. Right. But if it's controlled and focused, it's a, it's, it can be a very powerful driver. And that's how I find basically what happens is I'm, I'm not thinking about anything other than um, I'm just kind of lost in the music. You know, it's like a, it's an escape really. Yeah. Yeah. So, and to, to me, that's sort of like achieving the same thing as, as meditation in a way. Like it is. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, I mean, I, I think there's a crossover there with uh, like walking meditations and Tai Chi, right? Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's taking you out of your, taking you out of your head or taking you out of that, that headspace that you were in 
kind of in the starting point. Yeah. So whatever that may be, I think is it's, it's just the goal is to get there. Right. It's, yeah. And I, it, it's such a strange thing that I, I noticed probably five years ago that my primary driver for, for training was now mental health, not physical. Yeah. <laughs> I never used to even consider its benefits that way. I just trained because, you know, I had whatever athletic thing going on or for aesthetics or, or, you know, it, it just was a part of my life. And then it, there was a kind of a, a light that went off there and I'm like, huh, I'm very much using this as a coping method. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what about you? What's your relationship with that? I mean, th that's something I've learned this year as being a really, really beneficial thing as well. And, uh, and even if it's just connecting with, um, connecting with people in my life and midway through the day to, to go out and go for a walk and to connect with nature and to, to feel that the physical effect of, of, of the exercise and to really be, be in touch with what my body is, is feeling. If it, even if it's on a given day, if it's not a great feeling, if it's a negative feeling, um, I'm always feeling less stressed after I do that every single yeah. time. Yeah. We're, we're meant to be outside really. You know, yeah. we've, we've come to this place way faster than our biology has, has been able to catch up. So, you know, just a yesterday on a biological evolutionary scale, we were outside all the time. Yeah. And now not so much. So you don't, you know, you don't have the fresh air, you don't have the, uh, the natural light, you don't have uh, the pineal gland response and the melatonin response that you should with your circadian rhythm because of your, you've lost touch with the, even when the sun comes up and when it goes down, they're all important things. For sure. For sure. You know, the other, the other thing that we made note of was, was how does, how does that, how does the stress from, from the world around us and social media and the news and stuff, how does it affect our eating? And, um, and there is an effect, you know, in terms of learning a, a coping strategy or your, your brain going to a place where it sort of tells you what you, that you need this, um, there's a really, it can happen really subtly where you get this message that you need to eat. And uh, if you don't catch it, and if I, for, I'll just talk about myself, if I don't catch that and think, well, what am I feeling right now that, you know, is making me think I need to go and eat something. Sometimes it's just the, the stress of what I'm taking in as well. Yeah. Yeah. Stress eating can be, uh, I can, I can go down that path very easily and, um, judging by what I've seen with people's health throughout the pandemic. Um, I don't know people talk about the COVID 20 or <laughs> the COVID 25. Uh, I mean, you keep people indoors and, uh, you stress them out and that's, I mean, you're going to see increases in all those coping mechanisms, healthy or not. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think about myself when I was, uh, when I was at work and when I was using opiates and, um, when, during the time that you're using opiates, you don't have an appetite. In fact, it's quite the opposite, but, uh, I would then have, have these days off and, uh, would be stressed about any number of things. And I, I do look back at that and think, well, that's, that's when I would overeat. Um, I would not eat while I was on those string of shifts and while I was using opiates and then I would get off work and I had to self-soothe and had to kind of cope in another way. And at that time in my life, I sure as hell wasn't going to go and, and lift weights and get outside and do all these sort of healthy things that I've learned now, but it was just sort of like an autopilot self-soothing method that, that was there for me. Yeah. Did you find yourself developing a real sweet tooth? When I was using? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's, I didn't know that, that that was a thing even until uh, I'd started looking into what happens with the brain. And, and because I, I mean, I think at my worst, I was eating like a, like just a massive bowl of ice cream with like whipped cream and sauce, chocolate sauce and everything. I was like eating that every day after work. 
And they like the only wow. thing I would eat, you know? Wow. And I mean, you could imagine what, what that's doing to your body going all that time with no food and then just smash here's, yeah. <laughs> here's your insulin just absolutely uh, through the roof yeah trying to deal with the glucose yeah. but uh yeah not something you want to do on a regular basis but it's it is because your brain is is desperate for for more dopamine basically or and that's the carbs are the quickest so and sugar is the quickest of all yeah you know and and for, i think the um the other risk of that is that is that this stress unmanaged does put us at risk of of slips and relapses if it if it you know if it's not food if it's not um addiction to screen time and and other sort of maladaptive behaviors it is also that there's a genuine risk for for going back to whatever your drug of choice was yeah absolutely I don't, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know what the stats are as far as, as what's happened over the last couple of years, but down the line, I, I'm sure we're going to learn some fairly interesting details about how people coped with, uh, with the change that, uh, we experienced over the last couple of years. Well, the, the thing that comes to mind for me is, as at least provincially at the time of all of the mass closures of any, everything. When we really shut down in our province, it was deemed that that liquor stores were essential and that they <laughs> were to stay open. And I, 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 I think most people heard that and went, "Hmm," or went, "Oh, thank God." <laughs> but yeah. I would, I would love to know now. And I have not heard any kind of after the fact things are reopened. Let's follow up and see what that actually looked like. But mm-hmm. I would be fascinated to know what that actually translates to by, by I was going to say by volume or by taxation or, or mm-hmm. by sales. I mean, there, there certainly was a, a influx there. There would have to be. Yeah. And uh, it's so weird that alcohol is the, the one that uh, that's, that's allowed, you know, and now here uh, cannabis, but why any drugs are not allowed, I don't know. But um, the the way that we have regulated that one and and kind of allowed that socially to be, I mean, obviously alcohol has a lot of uh, social. Uh, it kind of facilitates social, um, makes social connecting easier, and uh, it's uh, it's kind of goes along with our our culture as far as celebrations and stuff like that go. But it's just a it's a strange, strange concept when you, you look at it objectively. <laughs> it, it, it sure is. It sure is. And you might say that there was a vested interest in, in the population continuing to self-medicate for a period of time during the initial stages of things. That could be argued for sure. And not just, yeah, not just the initial stages, but moving on, uh, there does, you know, when people say that there's a concerted effort to keep us in a state of angst, um, I believe they have an argument for that. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So I did want to mention uh, something that does help me with, I know it's difficult to do anything consistently that uh, requires you to kind of change your habits, but just committing to five minutes a day with exercise is a really solid way to make it kind of a, to, to let it become a habit in your life and allowing yourself to, if you just, you, you start doing whatever you plan on doing, set your timer for five minutes. And if after five minutes, you still don't, you, you don't think you could do it. That's fine. Try again the next day. But frequently, if you start, that's the hardest part, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's great advice. And it kind of speaks also to keeping our goals attainable and, and manageable and not setting the bar too high. I think we've all been guilty of, of setting the bar too high for ourselves uh, or having these big, big lofty goals. And then we struggle to, to meet them. And then we feel down on ourselves and then we yeah. go and self-soothe because we feel down on ourselves. Yeah. This is the uh, perfectionist cycle nightmare. Yep. And uh, it's taken me a long time to, to train myself to be kinder and find a balance between discipline and the, the mental environment that I'm cultivating, whether yeah. I can't, it, 
you know, I, before I would just, I was a savage to myself, you know, I just absolutely, you know, absolutely no mercy. If I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, then it's, Hey, what, you know, what's going on, man. You're, it's like, I'm a, I don't know. It's, it's not a good way to, uh, to keep yourself in a, uh, in a good state anyways. No, no, that's right. And it, it comes down to something we've talked about several times in all of our episodes is, you know, it, am I friends with my, with my mind? Are we that's on right. good terms? Do we, do we treat each other well? Yeah. And that, and that's in all aspects and that's in, in recognizing the needs of our mind and in our mind, recognizing the needs of our body and are we working together to achieve yeah. our, to, yeah. to achieve our goals. And when I think of like taking in all of the information that's out there uh, in the world and all of the negativity that's out there, uh, are we, are we being kind back to that? Like, you know, when we, if it was someone else that was taking on trauma and taking on all of this negativity, we might be more inclined to, to reach out to them and to be, to be good to them. But when it's us taking it on, we sort of tell ourselves that we have to take it on, that this is just how it is, or that we should be taking on more. And, yeah. and it's not the, not, not the case. No, it's not the case. And it's, it's hard to learn that for some people, myself. Uh, I mean, it took me a long time to, and it's got nothing to do with your level of confidence, or your self-esteem or anything like that. It's about being on your own team. Like, like, are you, are you an ally? Are you a, you know, are you working towards the same end or, you know, are you setting yourself up to have this kind of inner monologue of uh, like a constant battle going on? And you, you think about the yeah. waste of energy. Man. It's, uh, it's crazy. Yep. It is. It really is. And it's, uh, it's, if we don't mindfully catch that and, and, and sort of push back and take it on ourselves and it can just get out of hand, I think. Absolutely. And one of the ways that one of the things that I find useful is taking some time every day, just setting aside, you know, however much time you've got for me, it's after work. I set aside a half an hour and that's for relaxing and just kind of checking in with, with my mind to see you know, how are we doing? What's bothering you? What, uh, does anything hurt? You know, why does that hurt? What's, what's wrong with your foot? What, you know, how come you're so, uh, you know, what's your heart rate? How come you're so, you know, what, what anxiety issues are you dealing with? Uh, how come you feel so good even, you know, like, uh, yeah. um, I think that probably for a lot of people, they can go weeks and weeks, maybe even months without taking the time to, to actually sit there and mentally check in. Yeah. I agreed on the same note as what you're saying for me, attending the groups that I attend is a way of checking in too, and to is also a way of venting it and to be in a situation where you're kind of, <clears throat> I don't want to say force, but you know, the whole idea is that you attend these groups and you, you share how you're feeling and hopefully that you're honest about it. Um, and that you can speak it and release it and not just carry it around and, and hearing that other people are struggling with, struggling with the same thing, um, is really, really helpful. And I've seen that in the last, oh, maybe say two or three weeks with, with the world news that's going on, where there are times where that's just what people need to talk about. And they need to just say, this is really getting me down. This is really wearing on me. Mm -hmm. And, and we talk about some, some solutions for that some coping methods, a lot of the things that we've talked about just here right now with you and I, and, and almost everyone goes away feeling a bit better and feeling like, okay, I can, I can kind of breathe a little bit easier now. Yeah. And it might be that it's just a matter of processing how you're feeling enough to verbalize it for some people, because let's yeah. say, let's say you're not taking that time. You're a busy individual. You're dealing with your, uh, your kids, your job, you don't check in, but if you, if you do attend some sort of peer support meeting, you're kind of, you're not required, but you are encouraged to verbalize what's going on in your mind. And, you know, you can't verbalize it without thinking about it. If you're going to, if you're going to do it, like you say, honestly, right. Yeah. And I I've come to love the expression, name it to tame it. 
Like right. that is so true for me that, that when I speak it, when I voice my stress or whatever's bugging me, it feels better on the other side. When you ha- particularly when you have, uh, you know, understanding like-minded people receiving that. Yeah. Yeah. People don't like to feel like they're the only one experiencing a negative, you know, any negative experience, but it, uh, it helps tremendously just to see that you're not alone. Other people think this way. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it, it's kind of validating and, and it grounds, it grounds me. Yeah. Same. Um, so I guess one thing that uh, a lot of people have probably either struggled with or come to terms with one way or the other is, is managing what, what, uh, copic mechanisms are using. And, um, is right now with, with the way things are, I think it's, it, it, it's never been harder to, to manage in a healthier way. So. I wonder how many people out there were in a situation a couple of years ago where they weren't concerned about how much they were drinking. They didn't, uh, they weren't thinking, I mean, they knew they should quit smoking, but they weren't smoking that much. And now, now maybe their drinking's a problem. Now maybe they're smoking two packs a day. You know, these increases in, in those type of unhealthy coping mechanisms. Uh, again, I would love to see some sort of data on that. And, and what the long-term effects would be from that. Wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah. And I don't know that, I don't know that we um, will ever know all of that, but I do think that people are, are thinking about that stuff more now. Um, And it's being probably being discussed a little bit more now. Yeah. That's a silver lining for sure. If any people have had, had time to think and they've had time to ruminate, and there's been, you know, maybe more check-ins as far as am I, am I drinking too much right now? Is what's my relationship like with cannabis? Is it, is it hurting? What, you know, is it going against the grain of what I'm, what I'm trying to do and what, uh, how I want to live? You know, these, these questions maybe were asked a little more often and, and, and maybe that'll be a positive that comes out of it. I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I hope so too. I did want to also mention, I, I run into this a lot as a pharmacist. It's people really feeling like a, a failure or feeling weak because they, they can't go on or they've chosen to seek help with pharmaceutical aid or uh, through natural health means like or, or, or natural health products like St. John's or uh, valerian or melatonin to sleep. And I, I think it's important for people to, to maybe, obviously nobody wants to be on an antidepressant. I, I totally understand that, but I believe there's a time in a person's life for some individuals where you're going to get more benefit out of that antidepressant than, than risk. And in that case, I would encourage people to, you know, if you've tried a lot of these things that were discussing and you you just you still feel like you can't can't cope and that you're you know you're 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 trying to find an escape that's that's not it, it's not enough it's not powerful enough for you then it could be that you just you need a little more support and due to the circumstances and just the the world that we live in like this is a this is a weird place for the human animal to be and I, I think a lot of our nervous system has just not caught up to the pace that we're at now. And because of that, you, you're seeing a lot of people needing extra help. And I mean, I, I've been on an antidepressant for, for years. I've tried going off it a few times, but it's just, it, it's too much, you know? And, um, uh, I've also seen people who, who just in the last couple of years have reached a point where they're, they were adamantly opposed to that kind of a, a method of coping. And they got to a point where they wanted to, to just take a, you know, try a three month stint where it was just enough to kind of get them through 
uh, a tough spot and then they, they chose the right medication. We're able to come off it and everything's fine. So I guess what I'm trying to say is don't be, don't feel bad if, if, if you get to a point where that is necessary. Yeah. And, you know, like the stigma that exists for, for drug use in general, the, the mental health stigmas that exist in our society are, are very, very real. And they also exist within our own, in our own minds. And that oftentimes what we are telling ourselves uh, about that, about that subject is rooted in, in old stigma too, old messages of things that we've heard about weakness and about just powering through and snapping out of it and all this stuff. And it's, it's just not, it's not true, but those stigmas. And if we really start to pay attention to them, they're, they're still out there. Yes, they are. And I think everybody should remember that there's no manual for human beings on how to live in 2022. So, you know, if you're still using, even if you're, you're using or kind of employing thought process that were maybe successful for people a hundred years ago or 50 years ago, they don't really apply in this, whatever this is. No, no. You know? So no, again, you gotta be, you gotta be a little nicer to yourself sometimes for sure. Yeah. And uh, that also, uh, the other thing we could say is that uh, it's important to not just take the time to check in, but also take the time to, to do something you like, or to, you know, check off the, the uh, personal uh, recreation time too, whether that's, you know, go to a spa, get a massage, whatever you need to do. Uh, don't let those things slip and try to make them a part of your, your, your schedule as well because yeah. they're necessary. Yep. Yeah. And we can tell ourselves later, we can procrastinate and, and say that there are so many other important things that we need to be doing. But at the end of the, at the end of the day, if we take that time for ourselves, we'll be more productive anyway, we'll be healthier anyway, and we can get to all those other things. Yeah, this is, and that, that leads me to the last thing that I wanted to discuss. I'm, I'm not sure if you have some more stuff, Corey, but uh, I recently, you know, these books on organization over the last few days have been pretty popular, right? And uh, I just read one and it, there's, there's a lot of wisdom there as far as, you know, I, it's not like I, I'm not organized, but by taking the time, like I, I read this book and I thought, you know what, let's, let's try what this lady's talking about. So I, I reorganized everything in my, in my home. I got rid of things that I'm never going to use again. I cut everything down to just the bare minimum and then really took the time to think about, you know, do I need this device or whatever, or do I need this, uh, or, or how is my kitchen set up? For example, is it set up in a way that makes everything easy or is it set up in a way so that every day I'm taking an extra five steps that way, you know? And I think one of the things that happens when you do that is it has sort of a spillover effect. So that in the rest of your life, you it, it's a great reminder that taking the time to just stop and thinking about think about what you're doing or how you're feeling makes more sense, even from an efficiency point of view. It's very I can be terrible at this. Where as a pharmacist, I you know we we're always encouraged to move faster, 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 right? And you, I I can get into a mode where I'm I'm just it's almost like a frantic kind of pace. Right. And this is not good for anything. And it, it, I sort of like what you were talking about with a movie where it sets a tone for your mind. That's what sometimes I, if I just let myself get into that kind of frantic pace and don't set up kind of boundaries where, you know what, it's going to take a little while longer than that. Just everybody calm down type of thing. Then yeah. by, by the time I leave, I still have that, that frantic pace takes a long time to settle down. And it, I, when I look back at what I've accomplished versus if I would have just calmed down and, and organized a little bit better and taken my time, I mean, the, the organized technique wins every time and it's way less energy. For sure. And it, yeah, it really feels good. 
Nathan, I'm sure some of our listeners would be interested to know what that, that book is. Do you know the name of it off offhand? That one is called organizing life. And, uh, I can't think of the author's name off the top of my head, but, uh, um, it's, it's fairly popular right now. I'm sure it would pop up on a, on a search. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to add to that, Corey? No, I think that's a great, uh, great note to, to end on. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll leave it there and hopefully we touched on some things that can help. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and, everybody. Uh, and just, yeah. It, feel free to comment. There's lots to discuss with this particular subject and uh, we'd love to hear your 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 own experience with some of these things that we're touching on and uh how any of these techniques have impacted you or not yeah exactly yeah leave yeah. us a, uh, leave us a comment on youtube and uh you can always email us as well uh recovery machine um us as in us at recovery org. that's o-r-g yeah. yeah okay everybody we will leave it there and see you next time thanks see you soon